Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week we'll talk about why you should question your limiting beliefs and how a simple measuring cup can boost happiness. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister Elizabeth Kraft, who has some very exciting news. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA. And yes, Scratch, I have huge news. Yay! My show, The Fix, got picked up to series um, for ABC. That is huge. Yeah, Gretch, you know I've been working on this for a year. Yeah. Um, and it's been a roller coaster. It's been a ton of work. It's been a lot of anxiety. So to finally learn that it's going to be an actual show and actual TV is incredibly gratifying. Yeah, and when you found out, was it like, did you just randomly get a call? Was Is there like, we will tell you at 3 p.m.? Like, what was the reveal like? Well, um, the whole thing is, well, we were talking to our executive, um, our studio executive. There's a studio and the network. The studio is the seller and the network is the buyer. Is kind of all you need to know. So we were talking to our studio executive and he said, oh, I have to go. I think we're getting some news. Uh, so then we were like, uh-huh. okay, there's going to be news soon. And we went upstairs to our fellow executive producer's office and the whole thing is we knew if the studio called, it would be a pass because they give bad news. If the network calls, it would be, yes, we're going to series because <laughs> that's, you know, the network gives the good news, the studio gives the bad yeah. news. So we were up there waiting and just like, who's going to call the studio or oh the network, God. the studio or the network? <laughs> oh, my God. And then. And um, how long did this go on? How long were you in suspense? This, this was like probably less than 15 minutes, oh, oh, maybe okay. less than 20 <laughs> minutes. And then um, Lori Zacks, who's one of our executive producers, her assistant called out. The network's on the phone. Uh, and Lori burst into tears <laughs> of joy. And we're all like, oh, thank God. Um, and so we were just like high-fiving and jumping up and down quietly while we waited for everyone to get on the phone. <laughs> And then um, the network came on the line and they gave us the news. And of course, we were just screaming and cheering. And the funny thing is, though, the second we hung up with them, we just had to go into work mode because we had to hire all these people for the show. And it's a feeding frenzy because everybody's getting picked up at the same time. So we hung up and then we're like, "Okay, call this person, call that person, call this person, get this deal memo out, get that deal memo out. Um, so it was funny. But anyway, we ended up having plenty of time to celebrate and enjoy. And um, we're just thrilled. Um, we're shooting in Los Angeles, which, which is going to be amazing. And of course, Gretchen, Sarah, my writing partner, and I will chronicle this entire journey on our podcast, Happier in Hollywood. We talk more about the pickup um, in the most recent episode, episode 54. And we're going to be talking about, you know, doing the whole show. So it should be interesting um, for anybody who likes that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I loved hearing about the upfronts, which is like the huge network celebrations and promotions that they do in New York. Because I got to see you briefly yes. when you were in town, but you were so busy running around that I did I never got a full debrief. So then fortunately, I could just, I was like, oh, I will listen to it in uh, Elizabeth and Sarah's <laughs> podcast. So it's like yes. I, got, I got up to speed um, uh, kind of indirectly. Um, so it was so fun to listen to that because you and I had fun hanging out, but you're only sort of halfway through the upfront journey at that point. Yes. Yeah. Um, so listen, this week our Try This at Home tip is to question your limiting beliefs. Mm. What does that mean exactly? Now, this term limiting beliefs is something that I've heard for a long time. I've just sort of read people writing about it and talking about it. I don't think that it's an official sort of psychiatric term. It doesn't seem to be kind of a, a, a sort of a scientific term, but it's definitely something that people talk about and invoke. But I have to say, I didn't really understand how to put it into use or like what people were really talking about. You know, sometimes you hear about something and you're like, oh, it's, that sounds like it makes sense, but I don't really understand how that translates into mm -hmm. my life. Um, and now, and now and I do. So anyway, a limiting belief is a belief that you hold. It's something that you think is true, whether it's about yourself or it's about other people or it's about the world in some way that limits you somehow. It's a belief that you have that it might limit your sense of possibility, it might limit your sense of what does and doesn't work for you, and what you can or can't do. And one of the big problems with limiting beliefs, once you kind of wrap your mind around what a limiting belief is, is that they're so hard to recognize. You don't even know that you're facing a limiting belief because it just feels like an obvious truth. You're like, well, uh. yeah, is this just the way the world is? This is just the way that I am. It's hard to even realize that you might be under the spell of a limiting belief. Yes. Well, I have a limiting belief, or I had a limiting belief, about driving on the freeway. Ah. Like, I thought for years, and this is after moving to Los Angeles, where freeway driving is, you know, a major part of life. Um, I just thought, I will never drive on the freeway. I can't drive on the freeway. It's too scary. I can't merge. I can't change lanes. I can't go that fast. And so for years, I did not drive on the freeway in Los Angeles, which is, you know, really cumbersome. Right. It's literally limiting because it's like the, you're stuck on the side roads. Right. Yes. Um, and then Adam and I ended up moving to the valley ah. where I quickly realized, oh, if I don't drive on the freeway, I mean, it's just that's going to be uh, crippling. You ah. know, I have to. So I had no choice but to do it. And oh, my God, the, at first, like, I would be gripping the steering wheel, white knuckled, my heart pounding, sweating, you know, just so terrified. But then over time, I realized I can drive on the freeway. Now, yes. by the way, I still hate driving on freeways that I'm not familiar with. But at least I don't have any more of that limiting belief that I literally cannot drive on the freeway. right. right. Well, and speaking of that, because I'm also a very fearful driver, we share that, is a friend of mine once said to me, you might hate to drive, but you still can drive. And I was like, that was mm. a relief to me to realize, like, I wish I, I had enjoyed driving and experienced the sense of freedom that a lot of people do. And they really actually enjoy it. Well, all I can do is wait for driverless cars to come out. But um, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I can hate it and still do it. Like, it's, that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, now, my I also have a transportation-related limiting belief, which was I can't take a red eye. I, I'm a sleep zealot. Mm. I can't function without yes. my sleep. I'll be miserable in the airport when I'm waiting for my airplane to take off. I can't take a red eye. 
And then the thing is, and the same thing happened to me. And I think this is kind of the the sort of the default way out of a limiting belief is when just you're, right. you're confronted by circumstances that that force you to contradict your limiting belief. So I took a red eye and it was fine. And I'm like, this <laughs> could change my travel because a lot of times oh, if I'm yeah. trying to get back to New York or get somewhere, if I could think about the possibility of taking red eye, it could give me vastly more options. Yes, because you're constantly leaving for the airport at like 3.30 in the morning yes. to take the 6 yes. a.m. flight yes. where it might be easier after your event to just go to the airport and yes. take an 11 p.m. flight and then just get home. Yes, exactly. And there's a lot of advantages to red eyes. And so it's like, now I can think about that and, and maybe I'll decide I don't like them, but at least there's something I can consider. The thing about limiting beliefs is how hard it, it can also feel like it's part of who you are um, and that mm. it's like an important part of who you are. And this came up for me and, th and this is what really got me to understand the idea of limiting beliefs was. So for years and years and years, I used to file effects. I love a paper calendar. I love my file effects. It felt like this important kind of artifact that I had taken through my life with me. I really had very fond feelings for it. I used it all the time, um, except, okay, note this. It was so heavy that I didn't like to carry it when I left that apartment. Mm. So I would use it at my desk, but I didn't like to carry it with me so it was important, right? So most of the time when I'm out and about, I don't have my calendar. Okay, that's fact one. Now, I, mm. I see, use this as like a diary of my life. I have all my old pages back, I mean, decades. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I really loved having this collection of my calendar going way back. When anybody would say to me, like, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy that you use a file of facts, I would be very proud. I'm like, yes, I use a file of facts. I love it. I love the paper calendar. I don't want to go digital. And I had all these reasons. And the only thing that shook me and made me realize, no, I think I should use a digital calendar. It wasn't the fact that it was super inconvenient not to have my calendar with me. It wasn't the fact that often I didn't have information that I needed right when I needed it. It wasn't the fact that, like, often I couldn't make plans until, like, I got back home and sent an email and it was really inconvenient. It was that I, I was sitting with somebody and we were talking about calendars and she said everything that I said. I have mm. to use paper. I love my file effects. I could never go digital. People like, why do people think they need this? She went on and on. And I'm like, I'm hearing her say this. It's everything mm. that I always say. And I realize this is crazy. It would be so much uh -huh. better for me. It would be so much more convenient for me. There'd be so many advantages. My life would become so much easier. Other people could add things to my calendar. So I would, you know, I, it's, I could accept invitations and do, it's just like, and, but it, what, yes. that's what showed me my limit was when I heard somebody else. And it, it, for some mm -hmm. reason, because it was somebody else saying it to me, right. I didn't, it didn't have all those kind of associations of like, this is me. This is my core self. I was able to see like, this right. belief is really limiting me. Yeah, it wasn't an emotional thing or a def defining thing. It was just logical arguments that made no that really weren't logical. Or I just realized, like, this sounds like someone who's just not willing to change and adapt to something that's uh -huh. actually superior. Like, I get, I still love my paper calendar. I still love my file effects. It just doesn't work as well. Yeah, in a way that's really important. And th but the idea, I c the, what the limiting belief is, I can't give up my paper calendar. That was my limiting belief. Yeah. Because then it was like, well, maybe you want to do it. And then I'm like, well, maybe I can't. I can always switch back if I don't like it. Yes. You know. Yeah. I think they're easier, though, to spot in other people. Yes. Like if someone <laughs> says something, like in this case, yeah. that you're talking about the file effects, you yeah. can go, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Why do they think that? Yeah. Um, 
But in yourself, it feels like, as you mentioned, a truth, an undeniable truth that is, you know, unchangeable. But and and you're exactly right. And it it is easier to spot in friends. And like I have a friend who knows she should exercise, but her limiting belief is I don't believe in exercise for the sake of exercising. I believe in Mm. swimming. I feel I believe in playing tennis. I feel like going for a walk with a friend. But I'm not somebody who would just exercise for the sake of exercising. Mm. Now. It's not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that belief, but it is the case that in her situation, it's limiting her because she isn't swimming. She isn't playing. Tennis, right. She isn't going for a daily walk with a friend. Right. And so what it means right. is she's decided she's not exercise. She's she's like saying there's if it's this way or I, it's not possible for me to bring it into my life. Whereas if she said something like, are there ways that I could get exercise that are different from what I think of as the way I want to do it? Um, I think she would have more options and might feel like she could achieve important aims for herself. Well, Gretch, I have recognized a limiting belief in you. Oh, <laughs> I oh okay. See what you think. Bring it on. What is it? Uh, well, you are a low carb person. Yes. And you have a limiting belief that you do not like sashimi, which yeah. is the ultimate <laughs> low carb food, pure protein no carbs, uh, so healthy. Most people in the world think it's delicious. Have you ever tried it? No. <laughs> Is it okay. a raw fish? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean... Uh, so that my limiting belief is I don't like raw fish. <laughs> right. That is your limiting belief. It is. It I is. Think <laughs> you need to try it. Okay. Because I think you would like it. Yeah. And I think that would... Exp- you have a very narrow... <laughs> repertoire of foods and so i think yeah. that this would be a good one for you to add okay. and i think that you just think you don't like it you okay. have this limiting belief so okay well, next so the, time when you're, you're in la i'll okay. take you to katsuya and you well, can because try sashimi. doesn't i mean jack likes sashimi right yeah well he likes sushi uh, he hasn't quite gotten to the sashimi place but, okay um but he will yes all uh, children in la eat ultimately eat sashimi. But see, this is a great example of how somebody maybe can be helpful to you in 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 spotting it because you're right. Like it would never even question I would never even question that belief and but you even saying I think you would like it, I think that you're limiting yourself in thinking that you don't. See, that can be super helpful. But see, here's the thing that I think is tricky about limiting beliefs because often they go to identity and like, what kind of person am I? And that's, we talk about this constantly on the podcast. It's such an important question. Yeah. Who am I? What do I like? What are my values? What are my interests? What's my temperament? Who am I really? And there's the secret of adulthood. You want to accept yourself and expect more from yourself. And sometimes mm. it's hard to know when am I accepting myself in a healthy way when I'm recognizing mm. the truth about my nature in a way that's helpful. And when am I being confined by my beliefs, and I'm not expecting more for myself, or I'm not exploring my possibilities, or I'm not questioning my limiting beliefs in a way that would be healthy. Now, with sashimi, it's like, that's not going to rock my world too much one way or the other if I like it or I don't. Mm. But some things, um, it's like the exercise. It's like, that goes more deeply to kind of core values. Um, Mm -hmm. Or like, I don't like music. Okay, that's one thing I think. I like a song here and there, but I don't really like music that much. And a lot of people try to persuade me to like music more. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I just have other things that I want to do. I don't want to spend that much time on music. Is that a limiting belief? Or is that a natural, is that that me understanding a truth about my preferences? It's like, it's hard to tell. 
In that case, I think it is just your preferences because obviously you've heard music. Yeah, that's true. It's not like sashimi where you've never tried it or driving <laughs> on the freeway where I've never yes. done it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. You know music. That is a good point. Like how exposed are you to something? Have you given yourself the opportunity? Same thing with the file effects. Try it. Have I ever tried it? Have mm -hmm. I ever tried a digital calendar? No, but I could always switch back if I decided, no, this really isn't. And probably many people would decide that the advantages of the paper would be better for them. But for me, it ended up being digital. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've noticed that what I think the ultimate way for people to sort of shatter their limiting beliefs mm. is to do a marathon. Oh, yes. Because most people are like, I could never run a marathon. Yes. But time and time again, I've known people who've decided, you know yes. what, I'm going to train for a marathon. And then they've completed the marathon. And I think it really... It's like I said, a shattering of the limiting beliefs and suddenly you go, well, what else can I do yes. if I could do this? No, it, I think that is the paradigmatic example. And you're right. I think it's the reason that many people do it is simply to prove that they can. It's like, why did you climb the mountain? Because it was there. It's like I ran the marathon to show myself and the world that I can run a marathon. And now all bets are off. Yeah, because it's really not about the marathon. It's about all the other things you could do as well that you yeah. didn't think you could. Yes. Um, yeah. One of the New York housewives ran a marathon <laughs> recently, the New York marathon, and it was very moving. Did she, did she do it for that reason? Uh, I'm not sure wh why she did it. I think she just decided, yes, yeah, she said I've never, she had never exercised in her life. And she said, I'm just, I'm going to run this marathon. Her husband who died many years ago had run the marathon and she ah. just decided she wanted to. And then she said, it turns out she really likes running. So right there, yeah. limiting belief, you know, yeah. gone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's the problem with limiting beliefs is you're limiting your choices and your possibilities without even noticing that you're doing it. You know, if you, you say to yourself, well, I'm never the kind of, you know, I don't like running. It's like, well, have you ever tried running? Y you know, you don't even realize, like, I, I would just be like, of course, it's, how would I ever possibly eat sashimi? It's like, well, have you ever even, you know, and you probably try have to try it five times or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And Gretchen, I have a belief that I, this is my limiting belief mm, I need to question next. Because I have a belief that I have no skills in any domestic art that uh, I cannot entertain, that I'm not a good hostess. But then if I think about it, I don't know that there's real evidence of that. And mom is such an amazing uh, hostess. And I've watched her for, yes. you know, 40 years, so wouldn't it seem that I've learned something? But so here's my question. So like the marathon, you know, you hosted Thanksgiving and it was like the biggest thing. Do you feel like that was kind of your own personal marathon? Do you say to yourself now, like, <laughs> hey, if I can host, I can host Thanksgiving for my husband's entire family. Like I can have 10 people over for a barbecue type thing. Did it, did it I have mean, that effect? Yeah, it did in theory, but now it's like I need to put it into action. Yeah. It's like now that I've run the marathon of the Thanksgiving, <laughs> I need a half yeah. marathon yeah. of yes. the dinner party. Yeah. Yes, yes, the barbecue for one other, like, family <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Well, let us know if you do try this at home and how questioning your limiting beliefs works for you. It would be so interesting to hear what people's different limiting beliefs are. And it might be even that reading about other people's limiting beliefs might make you recognize them. We might recognize them in ourselves. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode. This is episode 171. So the URL is happiercast.com slash 171 for everything related to this episode. 
Coming up, we've got a happiness hack that will make your life more convenient. But first is break. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. So, Elizabeth, it's time for the weekly happiness hack, and we got a great one this time. So simple, but so useful. Yes, this comes from Angela. She says, I bought a couple of sets of inexpensive measuring cups. I now keep the proper slash most frequently used size inside the container, which holds the content that will need to be measured. Oatmeal, pancake mix, dog food, etc., This reduces dishes to be washed, and I never have to look for the right measuring cup. So simple, so brilliant. Yeah, I mean, because for, I mean, and like measuring cups, you could like get that at the thrift store. I mean, they're just, you know, or like, you know, mom and dad have three sets. Like, can I have your extra one cup measuring, you know, to like pack home? This is one of those things where it's such a minor thing that you feel like, does it even rise to the level even of a hack? And yet it's the kind of thing that over the course of a year, could save you so much minor irritation just because it just you just have that bit like you know having the right tool in the right place it's just like oh I need to measure out the you know the dog food and it's just like scoop scoop done and you don't have to move things around I love that yeah and there's no as she points out if it's just going to sit in the bag of dog food you don't need to wash it all the time so that's just you know much easier yeah so thank you Angela that is it's yes simple but Effective. Excellent. Yes. Elegant. Elegant. And Elizabeth, now it's time for a four tendencies tip. And if you are new to the show and you don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about the four tendencies, this is a personality framework that I created that divides the world into four categories. Um, It says that there are four types of people, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And I won't go into the whole thing now, but if you want to take a quiz and find out which type you are and what the significance of that is, you can go to happiercast.com slash quiz, and you can take the free quiz there. It's like 1.3 million people have taken it. It's free. It's super easy. And you'll get a little printout about what it means to be uh, one of these tendencies. Yes. And Gretch, today we have a tendencies question from Michelle. She says, I am your textbook obliger. Didn't need to do the quiz to know and can relate to Elizabeth on so many levels. You've given many helpful tips on how obligers can create outer accountability to meet their inner expectations, but do you have any suggestions to help obligers not meet the outer expectations that they don't want to? 
Meeting outer expectations that I hadn't necessarily wanted to meet has fostered a lot of resentment in the past. Any suggestions you could give to prevent me from oblige your rebellion would be greatly appreciated. Now, I have to say mm. that Michelle's question, I've ne- I had never really thought about it in this way until she raised this, which I'm kind of horrified by myself because this is a super, super important question and actually should have been a very obvious question for me, which is, I'm very focused on how can obligers meet their inner expectations for themselves, mm-hmm. which they tend to not do. But Michelle is absolutely right that ju- like an equally pressing issue for obligers is how do you not meet an outer expectation, even though your obliger tendency makes you want to. It, 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 it's giving you that impulse to meet an outer expectation. So what can you do in order to find the resources to resist an outer expectation Um, when someone's asking you to or telling you to do something. I think one of the most obvious ones that really works from what I know from talking to obligers is to stall for time, Mm. to try to really discipline yourself never to say yes in the moment, Um, to say, oh, that's what a great, thank you so much for thinking of me. Let me check my calendar. Let me get back to you. I need to look up, I need to check out a few things. I'll take a look at it. That's one of your favorite phrases, Elizabeth. You know, stall for time, because in that time, you could do other things like you could muster up all your arguments for yourself, why you wouldn't want to do it. Maybe that's enough. You could ask for an outside opinion, consult with somebody else. Do you think I should have to do this? Yeah. Sarah, my writing partner, does that with me all the time. She'll read me something like, you know, some email of someone asking her to do something and she'll say, do you think I should do this? Mm-hmm. And often I'll say, no, you should, you don't need to do that. Ah. That's not your job. That's, or just, you don't have time right now. Right. You know, a lot of it is just me giving her permission to say no. Like right. I say, you're too busy. Uh-huh. That would be great to do, but you just can't do it right now. And she'll go, oh, you're right. I can't. Right. And it's like, because I've said she doesn't have to do it, she feels free not to do it. Well, it's interesting because you're both obligers, but like everybody's Mm -hmm. a little bit different in how that comes up. And so it's great for her that you can play that role and sort of say, because for me, Jamie does that a lot. He's a questioner. So for him, even more, he's like, why would he, what he says is, why would you do that? (laughs) And I'm like, well, why would I? Um, If I'm feeling that pressure to meet an outer expectation. So that's great that you can do that for Sarah. And I think sometimes obligers, one of the things that's really struck me about obligers is how often they're able to use imaginary outer accountability. So you, you can, you know, outer accountability can be things like signing up for a class or working out with a trainer or being part of a book group, that kind of thing. But sometimes they're able to do it in their imagination. So like one thing some obligers can do is they can think about their future self. So it's like, well, right now, Sarah feels like, oh, I should probably say yes. But, oh, man, what's future Sarah going to think? Future Sarah is going to be like, why the heck did you agree to do this? There's no time for that. I can't believe Sarah did that in the past. So you're like, well, I have to think about future Sarah. Future Sarah is not going to be pleased. Yeah, or Gretchen, if you don't actually have someone to ask, you could imagine you had a friend, and what would that friend tell you? <laughs> what would imaginary Elizabeth say? Yeah, <laughs> if yes, I could about ask her. This outer uh, expectation. Yeah. Now, why is it that Sarah asks you, but you don't need to ask Sarah? Do you think for this kind of thing? I don't know. I feel like even though I'm an obliger, I just have an innate ability to say no to things. You and I have discussed this. Yeah. Now, some things I do have, I really 
have outer expectations that I have to meet. Like, for instance, if I'm at a party, I feel that I, you know, need to stay the appropriate length of time. Uh Things like that, when the event's actually happening, I have a lot of outer expectations to meet. But I can say no to things. I am able to do that. Although I might feel guilty about it for days. But yeah, Gretchen, I really feel a lot of outer expectations with um, like making other people feel comfortable. So it's like if I'm in a social situation, I really want to make someone feel welcome and heard. And it'll it'll haunt me if I feel like they feel left out, for instance. Right. right. Well, this is why obligers are often more likable because um, they're the ones who are, who are worried about things, you know, like, oh, is I feel I feel like I have to do something about it. I'm observing this and it's not enough that I'm just observing it. I need to do something about it. But also, Elizabeth, I would say, and this gets into when a person of a tendency tips towards one way or the other of an overlapping tendency. So obligers tip both to upholders because both upholders and obligers readily meet outer expectations, but but obligers mm. also tip to rebel because they both resist inner expectations. And as I've said mm. before, I think that you are an obliger who tips to upholder. And I think that's mm. why it's e- like if somebody says like, hey, will you come over and help me move? You'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's right. e- and that's tapping into the upholder self where the upholder self is like, no, because I've got my own stuff that I need to do. So I can't do, I can't meet this outer expectation. I'm not just going to automatically meet it just because you've asked me because you tap, you're more on that upholder side. Whereas I think an upholder who tips more to rebel, they feel, they may feel the resentment. Um, mm. Like I don't want to have to say yes, but they feel like they kind of have to say yes. So they're more, they're on that end of it. So I think that's, that also plays into how people feel, how hard or easy it is to resist an outer expectation. And the other thing, Gretchen, that could be helpful for Michelle um, is something you say a lot, which is remember that saying yes to one person might mean saying no to someone else that actually is a more important uh, person in your life. Right, because you're like, well, my team wants me to stay late, but we had this long conversation about how important family dinner is. So I have to say no to the team so I can say yes to my family. And so a lot of times it's like recognizing that there there's a conflict about our expectations. So you're entitled to pick the one that, you know, to, to meet the expectation that you think is more important to you. Rich, I think Michelle needs something that I have on my desk. I've told you I have my collection of yeah. buttons I keep on my desk that say things when you push them. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is one that she needs. No. No. <laughs> No, N, O. And she just needs to hit that button whenever she wants to resist an outer expectation. That's right. Whenever you feel that, Michelle, you're going to be like, if Elizabeth were here, what would she do? She And imagine Elizabeth pushing that button. No. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The necessary equipment for an obliger. Coming up, Gretchen gives herself a calendar related to merit. But first, this break. Okay, Gretch, it is time for happiness demerits and gold stars. And you are up this week with a happiness demerit. Yeah, so this is a demerit that I earn periodically. And I'm trying to do better. And I just keep not doing really a better job, which is setting dates like this is a little bit around christmas holidays but it's much bigger for the summer because there's so many more moving parts in the summer you know there's like what is eliza doing for the summer what's eleanor doing for the summer what are we doing as a family for this summer like different things come up it's like 
every summer is different. There's no template. And the fact is, what it requires is at a certain point when enough information has come in, I just have to sit down with a calendar and just really commit. And for some reason, like, mm. and you know, Elizabeth, every year I take Eliza and Eleanor to Kansas City for a week. And it's yeah. like, that can be at any point. Mom and dad are like, come whenever you want. Like, I always clear it with them right. to make sure that they're not randomly out of town. But, you know, it's basically, but it's, everybody's better off when I'm like, these are the dates. We can buy the yeah. airplane tickets, like everything. But I just delay and delay. And part of it is thinking like, well, once I commit, then of course it's going to end up being, I'm going to wish I had picked a different day or a different time. Mm -hmm. And so I just delay because I don't like that feeling of, and it's also just hard to get to that last point of like, here, I'm going to commit to this and this is the plan. But then once it's done, I feel so much relief because then it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, now we just know what we're doing for the summer and all plans are set and it's such a relief. And then it's easier for everyone because we all waste a lot of time being like, when are we doing this? I don't know yet. What do you think? You know, and it's just, yeah. so why not just bite the bullet? Yeah, I, I'm sure it is a like nagging yes. um, ball of dread in yes. your stomach every day that it's not done. Yeah, and so I, I just like have to just get all my little pieces of paper together, grab a calendar, and commit, and yeah. I'll feel so much better. I have to say that it's, these things are so hard. I mean, I have the exact same problem, so I, I'm very um, sympathetic to this. Um, but take it's us up, tough. Elizabeth. It's your week for the gold star. What's the gold star? Well, Gretch, this week I want to give a gold star to Sarah, um, as I've mentioned, is my writing partner and co-host um, of Happier in Hollywood. Um, her father, who I knew very well also, died recently, just as we were finishing our pilot. Um, and unexpectedly. And unexpectedly. Uh, yeah, and it was obviously just an incredible um, blow to her and um, devastating. But she's just handled it so well. Um, of course, she's, you know, incredibly sad and she has she gets emotional and all that. But like we have so much going on. She's just kind of managed to keep it together and to move forward. And um, what's great is she's even managed to enjoy um, you know, that our show got picked up. And so I just give her a lot of credit for handling this situation as tough as it is. She's really soldiering through. And so if anyone wants to hear Sarah talk about her father, yeah. by the way, um, they can listen to episode 53 of Happier in Hollywood. Yeah, it's very uh, but moving. But anyway, it's very, yeah, and very the, moving. But the nice thing with Sarah was that she was like, obviously, getting choked up and tearing up. But then she was also laughing and you guys were remembering. Yeah. I mean, you knew her father well. She's in that place where she's able to be sad, but then also may his memory be a blessing. She really was able to revel in his memory and and, and yeah. have happy thoughts around him as well. So that... Yeah, so it's an ongoing thing, obviously, um, but I give her a lot of uh, gold stars for just how she's handling it. Yes, yes, gold star for Sarah. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Question your limiting beliefs. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Odelia Rubin, who, by the way, Gretch, we're about to hear from. Yes. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Kristen Meinzer of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. 
Now, you hear us say it so often that if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. And we also often mention that how much we appreciate it when people rate and review. But from time to time, we get emails from people saying, I don't know how to rate and review. It's not that clear to me what to do to subscribe. And so Odelia is going to come in. She's done this before, um, but she's going to come in and explain how do you do these things. It's not hard once you know what to do, but it really helps if somebody kind of walks you through it. Yep, I am here to talk about my favorite subject. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe, rate, and review. Subscribe, rate, and review. (laughs) SRRR, yes, the the magic letters, yes. Okay, so it it would be really helpful right now if you have an iPhone, if you can pull it out. I'm going to walk you through how you (laughs) subscribe, rate, and review on your iPhone. So first of all, you're going to open up the main screen and find the podcasts app. You can um, pull down the screen and go into your search bar and type in podcasts. Or you can just find the app. It's little and purple. It kind of looks like a, um, a little guy in a, or a microphone. So once you find the podcast app, you're going to go to the bottom right-hand corner and find the little magnifying glass that says search. And, and in the search bar, you're going to type in happier. And Happier with Gretchen Rubin should come right up as the first result. You can tap that. And then you should see in shows, it'll say Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And you can tap the podcast art. And then up top, you'll see subscribe all in caps in purple. And you can tap that in order to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Right now, Mm -hmm. you might think like, oh, how are people listening to this show if they're not already subscribed? But a lot of Mm -hmm. times people listen through other ways where they're not actually subscribed, like by coming through my site or something. Yeah, they they could come through the site or just listen through iTunes on their desktop. But it actually does help us a lot if you subscribe on your phone. Actual subscription. Mm -hmm. That helps a lot. So after you've subscribed, if you want to rate and review, you can um, scroll down to the bottom. Because it says recent episodes, and then you keep scrolling down, yep. and then you get to a best of the podcast. Mm. Yep, best. Then rate and review. Exactly. It's after after best of the podcast, and you'll see some stars, and then then there's a tap to rate button, and underneath that even, which you think you would just hit the stars, but you don't, you can see it will say write a review. So you can write your review, and you can rate it, um, and then hit send, and you're all done. Yay. Wait, can I just say something really important about rating? Because I just did this to myself. Elizabeth, you're going to be annoyed by me. Um, I thought maybe you like swiped your finger across the stars and it would be like one, two, three, four. But no, it's like if you want five star, hit the fifth star. I hit the first star and I just gave us a one star review. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. no. I know. Can I? I don't know. I mean, I think you can undo that. Okay. It'll say uh, (laughs) where it says tap to rate. I think you can adjust it. And it will say submitted. That's funny. It already said submitted. It said submitted right away. Okay. That's <laughs> annoying. Um, so if you see that one star, be like, oh, that's Gretchen making a mistake. We get no one stars. Everybody loves us. Um, All right. Well, Gretch, I just I just gave us five stars <laughs> to counteract that. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, we're, 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 we're evening each other out. So that's great. So that's super helpful. Great. I'm so glad to hear it. And for all of our listeners who don't use iPhones, um, in an upcoming episode, we'll talk about how to do rate and review on Androids. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Onward and Upward.
Gretchen, you kind of buried the lead on that Filofax news. That's crazy <laughs> that you're giving up your Filofax. I know. It really, it really is cataclysmic. Um, but I did it. It's crazy. Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Gold star.